It's time for the Fantasy Points Podcast, brought to you by FantasyPoints.com. Top-level fantasy football and NFL betting analysis from every perspective and angle, from numbers to the film room, with a single goal to help you score more fantasy points. Yo, we are back with another episode of the Take Talk podcast. The first Super, or I'm sorry, first post Super Bowl <laughs> edition, Steve. I am your host, Brett Whitefield. This is my co host, Stephen O'Rourke. And Steve, we're kind of late to the Super Bowl recap party. So I think we're going to avoid bit. most of that. It is Thursday. I was a little under the weather yesterday, our normal recording day. And so I think every podcast and their brother has already recapped the Super Bowl, right? So. Yeah, I would say so. I, yeah. I don't know if we're going to hit many points or any points that haven't already been talked about in some way, shape, or form by some by somebody else. Yeah, so we'll stick with, with some of the, the more recent points coming out of, of the Super Bowl, which, you know, yesterday the 49ers have relieved defensive coordinator Steve Wilkes of their duty. This is um, This is a track record with Shanahan. This is a track record with the the whole Shanahan offshoot of coaches, actually. I, I, my good friend Joe Marino put out a tweet today. Go check it out on, on uh, yes. X. Um, breaking down how all of these coaches have cycled through defensive coordinators like they're candy. Like, it's kind of crazy. Um, some of them, to give them credit, they've had they've been necessary changes because their, their de- defensive coordinator leaves for another job. Like, right. that's a good thing, right? Like Raheem Morris, for example, going to yep. Atlanta – uh last year was D'Amico Ryan's leaving the 49ers to go to to Houston so it's not always bad it's not always a guy getting fired but they are cycling through defensive coordinators at almost like more than double the rate of normal NFL teams so that's concerning yeah Uh, this for me Stephen what I really wanted to get into is well one we can have takes on whether Steve Wilkes deserved to get fired or not um and then two there's a constant trend with the 49ers and Kyle Shanahan and the culture there where it's there's a lot of excuse making anytime things don't go right. Yes. I don't know if you agree with me in that. Oh, you do. Okay. So, um, yeah, I kind of said that like we were in unison on that and I wasn't sure. So, um, yeah, no, yeah. I, I mean, yeah, I agree. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons it was so hard for me to watch the Super Bowl because I'm kind of over the Chiefs dynasty and the 49ers just rubbed me the wrong way. And, but it's just more of the same for them. Like last year when they lost to the Eagles, it was nothing but excuse making. No one in that organization seems to be willing to look at themselves in the mirror. Like even Nick Bosa with his comments, man. Like what was that? Like, oh, we weren't prepared for the read option. That like is, that's not Steve Wilkes' fault. The, the Chiefs haven't run that once this season. Right. It that's wasn't on like, tape. How are you supposed to prepare for something that they haven't pulled out at all? Right. And at some point, it comes down. The players got to get in the film room. They got to do their own study. Nick Bosa, you've been taught how to defend read option probably since you were a freshman in college because that's where it gets run the most, right? Right. Like, don't don't pin that on your your defensive coordinator. Like, that's not his job to prepare you for a play that doesn't exist in their other team's playbook at the moment. Like, and then the naked too. Like, they weren't prepared for that naked boot. Uh, the other no, long run ten. And- that all, I mean, based on like after watching the game over again, that I mean, that's just awesome work by Andy Reid and the offensive coaching staff from Kansas City, because I have to believe that that was an in-game call. That was not something that they really had prepped much during the week. I don't th- I, I would I don't think because of how what, what like the situations that they pulled it out in. And it was just because that 
they saw all day Nick Bosa was crashing so hard on the, on um, any of the shotgun zone plays. Yep. He was crashing that to the running back so hard. And so like, that's just, Hey, that's good gamesmanship. That's good coaching. That's good situational play calling. It's, I mean, yeah, you have to be ready situationally as a player. You can't expect like no coach, no defensive coaches or, you know, defensive game caller in general is going to be able to prep you for every single possibility within an yep. offense. Obviously you're going to prepare for the things that you see most often on film and, you know, again, credit to the chiefs because they, they saw something in game and they switched to it and it worked out and it was effective. Yep. And, and honestly, like I just want someone in that organization to be disciplined and stand up and say, you know, we didn't play good enough to win. Like it's as simple as that. We'll get better. Um, we'll, we'll get it right. Nobody really has that mentality. It's like, ah, well we should have won. It's not my fault. We lost. <laughs> so yeah. Um, the, other, and- the other thing too, Steve is like, was Steve Wilkes calling the perfect game? No. Like I, I think, I think you can, there's a few situational calls where you could argue they're bad. I know the, the soft shell to start the driving overtime was a little concerning, but then you're getting into your head coach calling timeouts to change your play call. That, yeah. Again, this just reeks of like, dude, you're, it's like a micromanaging, like what is it like when you have a, a, a culture of micromanagement like that, you, you kind of tie the hands of the people around you. And so Steve, like Steve Wilkes is going to start second guessing himself and you're mad about soft coverage, but then you're mad about a zero blitz. Like the, cause he called a timeout to change a zero blitz. And I'm like, right. Well, but then you'd use the argument that you didn't like the soft coverage on the play before. So I'm very, I'm very confused by what you want. Um, and, and in that game too, the the Chiefs really didn't have guys that were winning in their route patterns. Like it, no, not really at all. Against Stone, he's not really. He does have that hezy, you know, when he's b- trying to beat man coverage. That is pretty effective on those crossing routes. But other yeah. than that, like hezy to crossing route combo, he runs. He's not beating man at the rate he used to. Rashi Rice is still developing his man beater game, and then everybody else is kind of just a dude. So like, yeah. I, I kind of I, I I typically don't like blitzing Patrick Mahomes, Steve, but in that moment, that was probably their best option. Actually, it's like let's force right. the ball. They don't have guys that can beat man, and we'll take advantage of that. Um, I thought I thought that was a good call, but Shanahan opted to call the timeout and to to change the play call there. So um, I don't know, not a fan. And I mean, to me, there's a, it all just kind of feels a little bit scapegoaty. Of like, yes. well, someone needed to be reprimanded for this, and I'm the head coach. I call the offense. I'm not going to reprimand myself, so I'm going to pin this on the defense. But look inward. Listen, Kyle Shanahan, you had two turnovers and you scored zero points off of them. Yep, two turnovers that you like, and one of them you got in the Chiefs um, on the Chiefs side of the field, and you did nothing with it. So I think you know it. The Chiefs are a good team. They played a great game. It was a fantastic defensive play calling, and Trent McDuffie was an absolute superstar throughout the game. But yeah. it's just, yeah, the, the lack of onus to take on responsibility for different things within, uh, you know, I think it, it seems to be something within Kyle Shanahan a little bit, and I, I don't want to put words in anybody's mouth, and I don't know Kyle Shanahan personally, but yeah. it just – I don't know. It it seems like it's a culture that's kind of cultivated because every player seems to embody that. And the, and the firing of Steve Wilkes feels 
similar to the players coming out and being, you know, Nick Bosa coming out and saying, I didn't know how to defend the read option. We didn't prepare for that and all of that stuff. It just all feels like it was this, you know, just a game plan of like, someone's got to go down for this because we shouldn't have lost that game. Yep. Agreed. All right. We can turn the page on that. Let's go Patrick Mahomes and legacy. Um, Obviously dude has what three, three rings in five years as a starter. It's impressive. Very resemblance or sorry, very much resembles <laughs> what Tom Brady did early in his career. I think he won three of his first four. Um, I think Mahomes is a little younger at the stage of his career than Brady was, maybe by a year. Yeah. Very impressive. I mean, all the way around. Obviously, Mahomes is, is knocking on the door of GOAT territory. I think, you know, I'm, I'm pushing pause on that a little bit. I think it's easy to say he's probably the most talented QB we've ever seen. I don't have a problem with that. But as yeah. far as, like, actual on-the-field dominant, like, He's got a long way to go. Like, I don't know that he'll get to seven or eight to to take over Brady. Like Brady, the, here's the thing about Brady: no one talks about Steve. Is he reverse aged? He got yes. better and better and better all the way up until his 40s. And I'm not talking just skills. I'm talking athletically. He was more mobile yeah. as a 42 year old than he was as a 35 year old. He threw the ball farther and harder as a 43. His Tampa Bay Super Bowl run, and I think it was his 40, age 43 season, he had three of the longest air yard completions in the league that year, over 60 yards each. He, on average, throw for throw, averaged the highest miles per hour per throw in the league. Now, I'm not saying Mahomes can't do that. I just think it's easy to say, well, Brady played till he was 45, so why can't Mahomes? It's right. sure maybe Mahomes will. We just it's really hard to make that leap for me, especially when Mah- so much of what makes Mahomes special and great is his ability to extend plays, that playmaker side. That wasn't really Brady's game, so he didn't have to worry about the athleticism falling off a cliff. And when it did, it was yeah. very noticeable, by the way, last year. <laughs> yeah. Um, but so so say Mahomes loses a little bit of a step and a little bit of that physicality. Is he gonna be as effective? He's gonna have to evolve. We haven't seen him have to evolve yet where Brady went through multiple evolutions. You know, Brady commanded just about every type of team in New England. I'll push back on that a little bit. I feel like this year was an evolution for Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. I feel like, you know, he he's always he's he's a gunslinger. He's that's who he is. But I feel like this year was a big development in just his ability to take what's in front of him and not try and force the force the envelope because you know he really couldn't he didn't have a lot of guys that were winning match matchups and so i think this is the beginning of a new evolution potentially for patrick mahomes or at least that's what it looked like this season and especially into the playoffs of just being very a lot more conscientious of his decision making and a little bit less you know freewheeling and more just calculated playing, playing in structure, taking what the defense. Yes. Gives you. It, it actually was. It's funny. They, their evolutions in their careers had to be at different times. What Mahomes did this year and even last year to an extent was very much resembled what Brady did early in his career. Yeah. Those early new England teams were very good defensively, good yep. run game. It was more Brady just kind of taking what he was given. And then in the clutch moments, Brady shine. It's like, now he's not the same level playmaker Mahomes was ever, but you know, in those clutch moments where you got to have a play, got to have a throw, that's where Brady really shined. Um, but for the most part, he was a game manager early in his career. Like yes. he was, just, we're just trying to get to the end of the game and, and get the dub here. Like that was just facilitating mistake-free football, all that stuff. That's kind of what Mahomes turned into the last two years. But 
yeah, that's a good point, Steve. I, I'm not trying to shortchange Mahomes either. I'm just kind of simply pointing out that <laughs> no, and I know yeah, it's a long road to get to seven eight. I know you're not doing that. Yeah, yeah, it, yes. it's just a long road to get to yeah. seven eight, and we're just not not sure we're you know I'm not sure he'll get there. I if I had to bet money on it, I would say it's, you know odds are pointing in the right direction for sure. Yeah, it, it's it is funny though because I think we felt this way, but it for like it really cemented itself in the Super Bowl where you do have that feeling of what you felt with Brady where it's like I'm never going to count him out period nope. like and it, he's shown that time and time again but even as you know San Fran scored with whatever two minutes and 30 seconds left and Patrick Mahomes had to go down and get a field goal and you know Jen you know the 49ers kicked a field goal it just all felt so like oh this is yeah he's this is his wheelhouse. He's going to win this game. They, like it feels the easy. 49ers, it, you, you felt like the 49ers had their chance. They blew it. And then yeah. Mahomes was able to just take over. And that's something that you, you know, you don't get that feeling with a lot of quarterbacks. And Mahomes, I think Mahomes is right there with Brady in that feeling that you're never going to count him out of any game. Yep. No matter, really, no matter the deficit at this point. That's, that's exactly where I'm at with Mahomes, where it's like, it, when Brady after like early in his career, I think I I was telling John Hanson this on his show yesterday. There was a stretch where I think I picked the Patriots to win the Super Bowl 15 years in a row. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Like you a, just you just don't bet against that man. And I'm right. pretty much there with Mahomes. Where when we do our preseason picks in in August, Steve for for the site, I'm probably picking the Chiefs to win the Super Bowl, and I don't even care what they yeah. do in the offseason. It's just yeah. Mahomes, and uh, that's kind of where we're at. I mean, I went in at halftime and I pulled up uh, FanDuel and the Chiefs were at plus two thirty, and I'm like, "This is stealing money." I'm going to, I can't, I can't wait to put money on this because I feel so confident in it, and just like the fact that they were, they were not even favorites going into the game, it just all of it. It's, I, I think that that's officially, especially like I feel like from a sports book standpoint, you're going to start to see that change a little bit with Mahomes, where. Yep. A, a, a normal deficit where you'd see a team jump to like a plus 300 plus 350 plus 250 Mahomes is going to sit around Mahomes is going to continually sit at like just plus 150 to win like if they're down at the half or something just because they have to protect themselves after this after this yep um and then I guess the last point is too is I I don't always want to focus on this legacy conversation with Mahomes in the moment I just want to enjoy this while we have it yeah because you just never know when it will be gone, and he's such a treat to watch. And my plea to the Kansas City Chiefs, I know in the post-Tyreek era, you had to rebuild your offensive line and had to rebuild your D-line and add weapons to the secondary. Please now, go get my man a legitimate weapon so we can get back to fun Patrick Mahomes. <laughs> you know, go, get, go get the guy, uh, uh, Troy Franklin or, or a Roman Wilson or somebody that can really stretch the field and win vertically. Yeah. Beat man coverage for the love of God, please. Just go get one. I don't care what it takes. All right, that's the end of my my plea to the Chiefs. Um, Steve, should we do a hard pivot? Yep, let's do it. Let's hard pivot. So, post off Super Bowl, mode. yeah, off season mode. Post Super Bowl, um, each of the last two years, I released my first mock draft of the season. This Monday, I dropped the 2024 NFL Mock 1.0. You can find it on FantasyPoints.com. Um, it has come with a lot of <clears throat> commentary, Steve, and 
I even put out a couple videos supporting one of my takes in here, and both of those videos are currently over 500,000 views on Twitter. So um, I, I would say I've definitely got the conversation starting, and I'm actually going to hang my head on the fact that I moved the lines in Vegas. My mock draft moved the lines in Vegas. Do you yeah, want to tell I mean, them one? I mean, so Brett, you came out with what I think, I mean, came as a surprise to every single person. I mean, me included. And you got accused of, it was it was so revolutionary and early <laughs> that you were immediately accused by the bulk of people that read it to be a hot take artist. That yeah. you are literally only doing this because you want your name out there and you want recognition and you don't actually believe this, but you pushed back and that's that you have JJ McCarthy going first overall yes, to the Chicago Bears. I should caveat this a little bit. So this mock draft is a what I would do mock if I was in the yes. seat of every yes. GM chair. Now, with that said, because I put McCarthy at one overall, that implies that I would take J.J. McCarthy one overall, and I would. So I've, I've staked my claim that I think J.J. is the best quarterback in the draft. And I'm sure, Steve, one of the reasons that confused you is because you and I have had talks about J.J. and I've had beefs about J.J. in his yeah. game. You know, like this season, you know, there's a couple moments against Maryland, especially where I was less than satisfied with J.J.'s play. But when I went back and graded all the prospects in this class, graded out the film, and took took in the whole sum of the parts, J.J. came out as my top quarterback. And that's um, and, and for those calling me hot take artist or a click-seeking attention person, uh, listen, I'm way too competitive for that. I care so much more about being right. Yeah. <laughs> but there's no way I would do something like that because uh, being like, you know, in this job, you, there's a little bit of ego that comes with it. There's also, I want to be known as a guy who has the good hot takes, not the bad ones. Um, right. So yeah, I, I care way too much about being right to be a hot take artist or to to do this for attention. So um, I was, you know, into victory lap a little bit. Anthony Richardson, one year ago to the day I released my first mock, I had yep. Anthony Richardson going in the top ten or top five. Um, at the time, most people had not even considered him to be a first round pick or even a top twenty pick. I put him at four overall. The the underwear Olympics happen and immediately sentiment change on Richardson because they saw him run a forty. Which if you watch this tape, you would know that he was fast. So that made literally yeah. no sense. McCarthy's gonna do the same thing, by the way. McCarthy's gonna go to the combine. He's gonna run like four five three, and everyone's gonna be like, "Oh my god, this dude's a freak athlete." Yeah, we we knew that. We watched the tape, guys. Um. Anyways, long story short, anything you want to ask me about this pick specifically? About the JJ McCarthy pick? Yes. That already like. Yeah, so I guess, I mean, I think that the big thing that everybody would ask is, <laughs> you know, obviously everybody everybody and their brother has Caleb Williams, Drake May, 1A, 1B, some order, 1, 2, 2, 1, doesn't matter. Um, what specifically pushed J.J. McCarthy past both of those guys for you? Okay, yeah, yeah. So I have J.J. as my QB1 in the class. I have labeled him the perfect marriage between high floor and high ceiling. And I think what really that, what that means to me is I think with JJ, you're getting the highest floor in the draft for quarterback, but you're not doing that at the expense of ceiling, which you, you know, you were with other guys in the past, like a, like Kenny Pickett was labeled as a high floor guy, no right. ceiling though. 
JJ's the opposite. He's a high floor guy with the with the really high ceiling. Now, does he have the ceiling of Caleb Williams? I don't think he's quite that talented, but he is very talented. He has some elite traits. Um, I think ultimately, though, we need to define what floor means. High floor to me is when a QB does all of the QB-centric things at a high level. We're talking like pre and post snap. We're talking pocket awareness, manipulating, you know, defenders in the pocket to keep yourself clean with slides and steps. We're talking about throwing within structure, timing, rhythm, repeatable mechanics, especially footwork. JJ does all of those things at the highest level in the class, unquestionably. Intangibles. JJ's an, a known leader in that program. He's a winner. Twenty-seven to one as a starter. His experience in the pro-style offense. Um, when you go back and look at all of the f- number one overall picks, the last like the last twelve of them, there's only one of them that wasn't a national title contender, and that was Jared Goff. Every single one since '09. Actually, even going back further than that, but ever, from 09, you have Stafford, Bradford, Newton, Luck, Winston, Mayfield, Murray, Burrow, Lawrence, Young. All of them either played a national championship or a, were a game away from one. It's remarkable. So when you look at Caleb Williams and Drake May and uh, Jaden Daniels, you don't see that level of winning. I do think the NFL cares about it. Analytics people, film grinders, you might not think it matters. It absolutely matters. J.J. McCarthy's a winner, and I think it matters a lot to the NFL. So then we talk about ceiling, Steve. We're defining the ceiling. What is, you know, I have these high-level traits I evaluate, like uh, what I call premium traits for quarterback. Arm talent, obviously one of them. Ability to throw with anticipation and playmaking ability. JJ's arm talent's awesome. You see the tight window throws all over his tape. Like, he has more tight window throws than any quarterback in this draft. Most of Caleb's impressive throws, most of Jaden's impressive throws, are they're throwing into open windows, you know, guys running yeah. straight downfield wide open. And they're they're great throws. I'm not discrediting what they do at all. I like both of them. But for my money, JJ has the the cleanest, most translatable version of arm talent to the NFL. Um, he throws with anticipation as well. Something you don't see the other guys really do that that often. JJ throws with anticipation. And then the playmaking ability is there. The mobility, ability to throw on the run. He is the best in the class at that as well. Um you look at a guy like Michael Penix. He literally can't throw on the run. So you're yeah. you're betting on the traits there, and you're like, oh, this guy's he's a mobile quarterback, and he kind of fits the modern mold. Well, he doesn't because he has to stop playing his feet and deliver the football. He literally can't throw on the run, and when he tries, it's it's very ugly. Um, so all that said, high floor, high ceiling, premium traits checks every single box. The only real knock against JJ Steve, um, and I'm sure you've watched enough of his games, you'd, you'd agree with this. He doesn't have like every club in the bag. Like if you view arm talent as like a, a golf bag of clubs, yeah. he doesn't have every club in the bag. Like he probably needs to add a pitching wedge and a nine iron to his bag. If that makes sense. Now, like yeah. throwing downfield outside the numbers, he has, he, he can add touch to the, to those throws. Um, but when he's thrown over the middle of the field, those intermediate layered throws that you, you he'll have to probably hit. We just haven't seen him do it. By the way, it doesn't mean that he can't, we just haven't seen him do it. Or, or try to at a high level. It hasn't cost him anything either, though, because he's just zips the ball in between two defenders and calls it good. You know, why do you need a nine iron when you can just hit a three iron perfectly? <laughs> right. <laughs> well, eventually, um, it, but then you push back and you say, well, eventually you got to be able to hit a short shot because it's, you know. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You know, yeah. You're just not going to be able to hit those all day. But, um, you know, a big thing that I, you know, I've heard other people say, and you see it in a lot of like developed quarterbacks the guys that are good in the nfl right now is their ability to throw over the middle do you i mean 
is do you see that with JJ his ability oh to to really dial in over the middle because that I going back and watching you know tape of different offenses that has become such a an important aspect to an NFL offense is being able to threaten the middle of the field and be able to you know have crossing routes and all in in digs all of that and be able to you know see see the zone identify yeah. when the guy's coming open and like you said throw with anticipation and you. Do you see that with JJ McCarthy? And you know, I does does that help push him above some of the other guys? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I think I think he attacks the middle of the field. Some of the best I've seen. Um, again, though, it is more of those you know those throws that require zip. Yeah. Precision. You know, the term on the body on the break. I think that JJ lives up to that. Um, but. There are going to be moments in the NFL where you wish, hey, we got to see that pitching wedge. We got to see you get it over a linebacker's head and yeah. you know drop it before the safety. Um, so far, he he hasn't had to do that. He's kind of just throwing it past the linebacker's face. Like as soon as he sees shoulder pads, he takes advantage of that. So if he yeah. sees you running away from him, he's just going to zip it past your head. Um, he's elite at pushing the ball outside the numbers too, and this is where like his arm talent really shines. I think he's the best quarterback in the class on high low concepts so like you're gonna run sail flat or seven flat he is i mean he reads that out great almost every time he doesn't hesitate he throws with anticipation and he he layers those balls in on those seven or sail routes absolutely perfectly and and i'm talking opposite hash too he's ripping it so i put out a compilation video of him making about 20 20 throws on sail flat and it's just all just beautiful dime after dime after dime so yeah. I love it. I love yeah. it. And I, I mean, shoot, it wasn't a day after you released your mock that um, there was a beat writer that came out and said that there's rumors that, you know, NFL teams have JJ McCarthy as high as QB two. So yep. I think that you, you getting your mock out when you did, you were able to jump ahead of that. And it seems that, you know, You've gotten some. You've gotten some confirmation that you're not this crazy. You know, I'm just throwing. I'm just throwing crap at a wall, hoping that everybody, you know, notices me. It's it, yeah. it actually is an evaluated take and not just there for, you know, internet fodder. For sure. Um, and so the, the other thing, Steve, uh, Lance Zerline dropped his mock. He's got JJ going 12th overall. So even he's bumped him way up uh maybe not yep. in his evaluation of him but at least in his idea of the way nfl teams are perceiving jj which and i think yep. this is going to be a continuous thing all the way up to the draft it's going to be debated all the way until draft day who's the one zero one um maybe jj doesn't go one overall i i can live with that i'm just simply i think when it's all said and done he will be the best qb in this class so yeah so then you we've obviously talked about jj mccarthy going one you then have Caleb Williams going two, Jaden yep. Daniels going three, which again, I think that that's not necessarily Jaden Daniels is three, but not three the way you have it because you have Drake may going, yeah. going at five after yeah. um, Jaden Daniels. So what do you see with Drake may that has you, you know, a little bit lower on him compared to other people? Yeah, so the, the fun thing about all four of these guys, to be honest with you, is it's toolsy. They're all toolsy. They're all like the modern quarterback who have a certain level of mobility and playmaking skill. For me, the difference between Drake and Jaden and even Caleb is like 
he has those high level traits. He's got arm talent for days. He can push the ball downfield. He can, you know, throw with a certain level of zip. Um, he's mobile. You know, he can he can make stuff happen with his yeah. feet. Uh, in fact, I think he last uh, last year he was the leading rusher for the, for North Carolina, while also <laughs> you know putting up gaudy passing numbers. So um, he has all those tools. The issue for for me with him is just an inconsistency that really plagues him. Um, e- even in some clutch moments this year, where you just the the mechanics are kind of wonky. The way he he opens his hip on his drop to throw to the right side is kind of weird. Um, a lot of balls dying on him when he's trying to get the ball outside the numbers to his right side. He's great out to his left great over the middle of the field it's it it is a little weird just the, the mechanics are inconsistent in that north carolina offense as well there's not really they're, they're not really teaching progressions or reading defenses it's like yeah the play's designed to go here so the play goes there um that's concerning for me he him and caleb are actually relatively similar to me i just think caleb's upside because of the things he can do out of structure at you know at a, he does all those things at a little bit higher level than drake that I yeah. think ultimately, you know, that's that's why I have you know him ahead of Drake. And then as far as Drake versus Jaden Daniels, Daniels is just a lot more polished. Um, his game is way more polished. He's also 24 years old though, so like you, yeah. And teams will have to have this debate internally, and it, and this is why I have them so tight too in my grades. It's not like I love Jaden Daniels and hate Drake May. I still have Drake May going in the top five here for God's sakes. But yeah, um, right. Um, GMs will have to decide like. Hey, do we think we can get Drake May to where Jaden Daniels is in two years? Because that—that's the age difference we're talking about. Do we have time, yeah, as a, as an organization to 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 really worry about that development, or should we just take? Because here's the thing: when Jaden Daniels was coming out of his year twenty-one season as a junior, a true junior, leaving Arizona State to transfer to LSU, nobody on the planet thought that guy was a top ten pick or even a first no. round pick. No, he had a long way to go. And to he his a, credit, he was a fun player. One player, right? And then, to his credit, he did develop. He did dial in those mechanics. He cleaned up the footwork a lot. Go look at his footwork from sophomore year to now, Steve. It's light years different. The even the throwing mechanics are different. Um, It's so a lot of credit to Jane Daniels. The LSU offense made it pretty easy. Obviously, he had you know Malik Neighbors and Brian Thomas Jr. and they're they're pretty loaded there at skill. Yeah, but. That said, I think he's a much more polished thrower. Throw for throw, he he's very accurate. Where I think May has a lot of inconsistency there. So, um, and then just the running upside you get with Daniels too. He's the best running quarterback in this class for sure. Yeah. What do you have? Twelve hundred yards and fifteen tutties this year as a runner. I mean, ridiculous. So I might be exaggerating the touchdowns there, but that's okay. No, but um, yeah, he's he is a ridiculous athlete, and yeah. that especially in today's NFL, that's so appealing. Yep. You know, we watch what Lamar Jackson did. You see what Mahomes did. Uh, yeah did in the super bowl like that aspect of it and knowing that your quarterback is even a step above as an athlete than some of you know secondary guys and guys they're going to face on defense that's such it's such a benefit to a guy and can just make an offense be more versatile especially when a guy is young and developing yep um all right before we wrap this shindig let's go you got any other questions for me from this i guess the outside the top five of the mock so, I mean, it's six, seven, but I think that this is also okay. kind of an, an interesting or it, it's just different. A lot of people have Joe Alt as their tackle or OT one. You have Joe Alt being the second tackle off the board and you have uh, Fuaga from Oregon State going yeah. the pick before him. Um, again, same 
same line of questioning. Obviously, you know, Joe Alt, a lot of people are raving about him, but what what about Fuaga pushed him a little bit beyond yeah. Joe Alt for you? Yeah, so for me, so if you read the, the cliff notes on on the selections, I do say that Joe Alt is my top alignment in the draft. So yeah. the reason I have Fuaga going first, this was team specific. So the Giants yeah. are in a bit of a situation where they've drafted two tackles in the first round already, and Andrew Thomas and Evan Neal. Neal's been their right tackle. Andrew Thomas is a is a really, really good left tackle. It might be the only yeah. thing good they have going on that offensive line. <laughs> um, Fuaga brings a positional versatility to the table that I think really allows them to focus on getting their best five on the field. I think this gives them the opportunity to move Evan Neal to maybe right guard or, or left guard where he might be a better player. Um, and it, maybe they like Neal's development. Maybe they think the developmental curve is coming along and he's going to stay at right tackle. Well, then I think you can park Fawaga at right guard and he's going to be a top five right guard in the NFL for the next decade. So I just like the positional versatility Fawaga is going to bring you. I think Joe Alt is a left tackle. Um, you know, he could play right tackle too, but I think that's what he's really excelled at at Notre Dame. Um, and the Giants just don't have a need for that right now. And the, you're splitting hairs when you like, there's a cluster of O linemen in this class that are all very, very good. I think you're kind of splitting hairs. And for, for me, it's going to be, you know, pick your flavor, you know, pick your versatility, what, what you like, and, and how you think that guy fits on your team. I just think Fuaga fits the Giants better than Joe Alt. Yeah. Yep. Um, another, again, another premier uh, position group in this draft is wide receiver. And yes, you have Marvin, Marvin Harrison Jr. going at four. Presumably, obviously, he's your wide receiver one, as he is pretty much for everyone. <laughs> but you have um, Odunze going nine and then you have neighbors going 15 yep um neighbors i know is catching a lot of he's really riding the wave of draft hype and Mm -hmm. rightfully so he's a very good player and you know he already obviously was a first rounder going into the year but you're starting to see neighbors push up to wide receiver two for a lot of people and even i've even seen some people you know posit that that he could be wide receiver one but you have him as you have him as your wide receiver three in this draft. So what what do you see? What do you think you see differently with neighbors that pushes him a little bit lower compared to other people? Okay, cool. Yeah, I'll hit that, and then I do want to hit Rome Odunze because I think he's worth talking about as well. Um, yeah, the guy we're comparing him to ultimately. But the reason I'm lower on neighbors than I think everybody, and I guess not to caveat everything that I say, but to throw a minor caveat in is I still really like neighbors. I have him going 15th in this draft. I think he's a very good prospect. In fact, I think he scores very similarly to how JSN scored for me last year. I think neighbors is going to be a better athlete than JSN, which is why mm-hmm. I probably have neighbors. If I were to like compare classes, I think neighbors sco- will score, you know, slightly ahead of, of JSN, but JSN was a top 20 player for me. Best receiver in his draft class. Uh, I see neighbors, similarly they were used similarly as well and so one of the reasons i i I guess i'm lower on the neighbors and everybody steve is the way lsu used him he primarily played in the slot i think like 80 percent of his production came out of the slot and then that doesn't necessarily mean anything negative um but in this case it does because the way lsu used him you know as you know when you're playing in college most colleges deploy some type of too high it's a lot of quarters defense And so when you have a a dynamic player like Malik Neighbors in the slot and you're seeing a lot of quarters, what that essentially means is you can force one-on-one matchups with that receiver versus a safety that's playing 10, 12 yards off the ball. 
and you're giving that receiver a two-way go where you know neighbors is hitting him on a sale or he's hitting the post or or even a double move and he absolutely dominated in those scenarios and it's just an it's just not something he's going to see a lot of in the nfl but there's not a lot of tape not a lot of reps of neighbors winning one-on-one from the slot against a man defender or winning on the outside against a man defender or even beating like a a really good cover three corner for that matter it's a really his his numbers are really inflated because of the the exploit there reminds me a lot of elijah moore coming out of Ole Miss reminds me a lot of Wondell Robinson coming out of Kentucky those guys were used very similarly and also had very inflated numbers and um you know I had to adjust their draft profiles for both of them as well um you know Wondell Robinson to me had no business going in the first round um he went in the first right where was it like the first few picks of the second yeah it was it was it was early yeah than people thought for sure yeah so yeah, he got picked at number forty-three. So yeah, so pick way eleven early. or ten. The- yeah, I think I had uh, like a mid-third on on Wandell. So that's crazy. But um, anyways, neighbors, you know, he's more dynamic than both those guys I mentioned. He is a better athlete. You do see the movement skills, the suddenness to to be an excellent route runner. He just hasn't had to be that sophisticated yet, and he's great after the catch with the ball too. I think he's gonna be a good player. Again, going top 15 here, it's not like I hate the guy. I, yeah. just, really, I just really see this a little bit differently than, the, I guess, the, the community does. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And then Rome. And that- Rome, the guy where, you know, I, I'm still firm that Rome is number two in this class. I think in almost every draft class, minus the Jamar Chase here, Rome would be the number one receiver in that class. He is freaking phenomenal in every way, shape, or form. He is a giant target. He's physical. He's super ridiculously athletic. A lot of people don't realize how athletic this dude is. They see what 6'4, 215, and they just think he's probably a big T. Higgins contested catch type. No, this dude is an insane athlete. Go watch his punt returns at Washington. He had one this year that he took for like 70 yards. It was one of the best punt returns I've ever seen. Guy is electric with the ball in his hands. He's an absolute menace. He's not necessarily a make you miss kind of guy in the open field, but he's got that competitive toughness where he's throwing dudes off of him. He's outrunning them. Um, the amount of plays where he catches the ball in space and outruns the nearest defender is insane for a guy that size. So he's yeah. a total package, elite route runner, elite technician, um, great at the catch point. Um I don't know how much more I can say about the guy. I'm, I'm making him out to be a Hall of Famer. Um, you know, just not a lot of deficiencies to a game. Honestly, there's not a lot of deficiencies to what he does. I think he's one of the more polished receivers um, to come out in the draft in some time. Like he is the real deal, total package. Yeah. Um, then I guess the last one, just because this is always, I think it's always a fun question to ask, but we're early. This is obviously mock draft 1.0 for you. Um, do you have a player that you are keeping an eye on that you think could make a big leap here in the next, you know, with a let's say good combine, uh, the next like month, month and a half? Is there a player that you've got your eye on that you're kind of potentially waiting on numbers to push up? Um, yeah, I think there's a few actually. Um, specific to this mock or anybody. Uh, let's go specific to the mock. Okay, let's cool. Go. Guys, guys, guys in the guys in the first round, you know, wherever they are, yeah. who do you see that you know could go for a you know jump five, ten, twelve spots? Yeah, so we'll just go. So I'll just kind of run through it really quick and give cliff notes. Um, 
Alu Fashanu from Penn State. He's a freak yeah. athlete. I have him going 10 here. Um, coming he was, uh, yeah, never mind. You were about to hit it. Yeah, sorry. Coming to the year, he was like consensus O-line one. And, well, I mean, it was debated with him and all, but I think most people leaned him. He kind of had a bad year on tape. So a, a big combine, though, reminding people of the freak athlete he is could get him back to O-line one status. Um, yeah. I think I'll, st- I'll stand on my tape eval of him, but um, you know, you know how the NFL loves their the, the athleticism. So um, yeah. he's one. The, another guy. Sorry, go ahead. I say especially at the tackle position now. Yep. Another guy would be um, Cooper DeJean, corner Iowa. Um, he's got a chance to be the the top corner off the board. I think top defensive. Wow, back. really. Yeah, I mean, his tape is excellent. He played at Iowa, so nobody thinks he's... Oh, and he's a white guy. <laughs> he's a white guy that plays corner. So a lot of people don't think this is this dude's a good athlete, but I I mean, his tape suggests he's a phenomenal athlete. So I think if he tests well at the combine, you could see him getting a firm top 15 grade, you know, maybe slide into the top 10 even. So I, he's he's that good. Yeah. Um, a lot of these offensive linemen, honestly, because they're all getting billed as... Like Graham Barton... Um, tackle from Duke, smaller guy, not not huge wingspan, so he's going to get penciled in as like an interior guy at the NFL. I know Daniel Jeremiah is saying put him at center right away. Um, I can see that for sure. I have Tampa Bay taking him in this mock as an IOL, but I think he has a chance to go blow out the combine, and then you're talking about you know him rising way up the board because you, we just don't think about interior offensive linemen as freak athletes very often. So if you get the chance, you know you're talking like Quentin Nelson type status potentially. So. Yeah. Um, Raylan Trice, edge from Washington. This dude, one of the most polished pass rushers I've seen coming out in a long time, especially for where I have him going in this class or in this uh, this first round here. He he's a guy that could to really like fly up boards because I think he he'll go to the combine. He'll put up like a a six seven three cone and you know like a four two five short shuttle and everyone's going to be ooing and on over him. Yeah, uh, and then lastly, I'd probably say uh, Troy Franklin. I have him going to Buffalo at 28. He's uh, he's just a speed demon, and every year there's a guy who runs insane fast at the combine and then goes way yep. up, goes way higher than he should. Franklin's a good player, but he's a you know a fringe first round guy to me versus a you know a hard you know a hard top twenty ish kind of guy if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Sweet. Uh, like- oh, can I throw one more out there. Yeah, he, please did, do. he didn't. He didn't get in the 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 mock here. He's the other Missouri corner, not Rakestraw, but Ennis or um, um. Oh my gosh, a- Abram drains. Yeah, drains Abram. It. Whatever. Sorry, bad with names, and I didn't write it down. He that guy can absolutely fly. So he similar to Franklin, where I think, I think this dude could run like a really really fast forty time, like in the four twos. Um, reminds me a little bit of um, Stokes, Eric Stokes. The the Packers took him a couple years ago in the first round. Going yep. into combine week, everybody had that dude as like a third, fourth round pick. Dude ran four two five or whatever, and then went in the first round. I think you could see Abrams drains, if that's his name, uh, do something similar. So, and he had a good. He was at the Senior Bowl, right? Yep, had a good and Senior he had, Bowl. He had, a good, he had a good week there. Probably second or third best corner there for sure, behind uh, Quinion Mitchell from Toledo. Yeah. Yep. All right, let's wrap it there, Steve. Do you have any like final it. thoughts? I just I'm, I'm excited for the off season. I think that we've got a very just a very interesting free agency. Very uh, a kind of a I mean a 
pretty loaded draft overall and an exciting draft nonetheless. Um, it's just it's going to be fun to evaluate these next couple months. I'm excited for it. Yeah, I feel like off season is our sweet spot for content because it's like there's just so many things to talk about. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, or maybe it's just different, so it's like refreshing. You know, they're like the the subject's always changing. You're not always reviewing and previewing games. It's like there's a more ebb and flow and and ever changing content. So it's it's I guess it's more fun for me. Um, but yeah, yeah. So head over to fantasypoints.com. Check out my mock draft. It's there. Um, on the clock, my draft podcast comes back. Um, probably end of this week into early next week. I'm very excited about that. I'm sure we'll get Steve on there as a guest as well. Um, yeah, we're going to have the star studded cast again this year. I know next week I've already got Mike Renner on the board, Russell Brown on the board. Um, I got Zerline committed to an appearance, uh, Danny Kelly, like it's going to be, it's going to be fun. So we're, we're doing that whole bit again. Yep. Um, so yeah, check it out. Other than that, we will bid you a farewell. I am Brett Whitefield. This is my co-host Stephen O'Rourke and we are out. Thanks for tuning in to this edition of the Fantasy Points Podcast. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite platform. And come join the roster at FantasyPoints.com.